Good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone. I am very, very pleased to see you here tonight. I realize you could be spending your time elsewhere, but I want to assure you, you have made an intelligent decision to be here where the Word of God is spoken because God's Word has power to bring about all kinds of miracles in the lives of those who receive it by faith. So thank you so much for your presence. I am sure that God will bless us all as we worship Him through the spoken word. Before I go any further, who is here tonight for the first time? You were not at the opening night. Can I see your hands? God bless you. God bless you from my heart. God bless you. Those of you returning for the second time, may I see your hands? Very good. God bless you. The Bible says, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. So I want you to endure one night at a time. Is that clear? One night at a time. Let me tell you something interesting. You can use it in all aspects of your life. I don't want you to say, you know, I can't come to every meeting. You mustn't say that. If you say that, you mentally predispose yourself not to come. Here is what you must say. What must I do in order to be here tomorrow night? That's what you must say. Don't worry about next week. Just think of tomorrow night. What must I do in order to be here tomorrow night? And then you say, I have to leave work half an hour early. I have to find a babysitter. I have to maybe take time off. Then you decide, these are the things I need to do in order to be present tomorrow night. But do not say, I cannot be here tomorrow night. Then you create a negative state of mind. And it may become a self-fulfilling prophecy, much to my sadness if I don't see you tomorrow night. So thank you for coming. Let's review what we talked about last night. What was our subject? What women should know about God. And what is that in one sentence? God knows how to do what? Take care of that which is His. His by creation and His by salvation. We discovered last night that the Creator is Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 verse 16 for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And we discovered in verse 17, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. So that which God creates, God sustains. And since God saves the way he creates, through his word, then that which he saves, he is able to sustain and maintain. That's why a person need have no fear about giving the life to Jesus Christ, because Christ is an expert in taking care of that which is his. And so, last night, what every woman and every man should know about God. Tonight, our subject is, who has your back? Who has your back? And everyone wants to know that there's someone who supports him or her. No one wants to walk through this world alone or supported by weaklings and people who cannot help them. And so our subject is, who has your back? Say that with me. Who has your back? Let us bow our heads and pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we have come to this place for one reason only, and that is to lift you up through the spoken word. I ask in the name of Jesus to remember the words you spoke to Moses when you said to him in Exodus 4 verse 12, 
Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Father, from my heart, teach me what I should say, and open the hearts of those who are listening, that they may receive the words of truth gladly. I offer this prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Who has your back? Why was it necessary for Jesus to die and not perhaps an angel? Why a member of the Godhead? Whether it be God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Ghost. Why was it necessary for Jesus to die? I'm pleased to see those of you who are coming in. God bless you. There are some seats nearby where you are. Take anyone that suits your fancy. We're just happy that you are with us. Why was it necessary for Christ to die? I will give you some reasons why it was necessary for one equal with God himself to give his life. Now, in order for us to understand that, we must first define this thing called sin. What is sin? The Bible gives us a definition in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Let us go there. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Now, who wrote 1 John? Well, yes, John, but there are several Johns in the Bible. Which John? John, one of the twelve disciples, yes. The one who describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wrote how many books in the Bible? Five. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John. He wrote 2 John. He wrote 3 John. And he wrote Revelation. He has five books. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. The Bible says, Whosoever does what? Sinneth, transgresseth also the law. Why? For sin is the transgression of the law. Now let me repeat that. This is the biblical definition of sin. Sin is the transgression of the law. Now, in reading the Bible, you may come across examples of sin. But there is one biblical definition of sin, and that is sin is the transgression of the law. In James chapter 4, verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, it is sin. That is an example of saying, knowing good and not doing it, that is sin. It's an example, not a definition. In uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, All unrighteousness is sin. That is an example. The definition is, sin is the transgression of the law. Let me explain that. Now, I'm not a scientist, so please don't laugh at my definition of an animal. What is an animal? If someone were to say to you, define an animal, what would you say? Well, I would probably say in my stumbling manner, an animal is a living organism below the level of a human being that eats, that grows, that reproduces, uses energy, and dies. That's an animal. Now, if I were to ask someone, what is an animal? And the person said, a horse is an animal. Would that person be right? Yes. But that's not a definition. That is an example of an animal. So when we read sin is the transgression of the law, that is the definition. When we read the thought of foolishness is sin, that is an example of sin. So sin is the transgression of the law. Now, let us take a look at the law of which sin is a transgression. Why is the law so important anyway? When Lucifer sinned, he transgressed the law. Because sin, as the transgression of the law, that definition has operated since there were created beings. It is not just new to the New Testament. It has always functioned. Sin 
is the transgression of the law. Now, the law, we commonly say, is a transcript of God's character. Now, that is true, but let's look at that biblically. Let us go to the book of Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25, we shall read verse 16. In this chapter, God gives Moses instructions for the construction of the ark. It was a collapsible tent, a movable structure, which functioned as the center of worship. And as the Israelites moved from place to place in 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they would move the tent from place to place. It had two internal compartments. It had an outer court, and it was surrounded by a white fence. And it had three pieces of furniture in the first apartment, one piece in the second apartment, which was the most holy place. In that second apartment, there was the ark, which represented the throne of God. Now, in verse 16 of Exodus 25, God, in giving Moses instructions, he said, And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. Question, what did God mean when he told Moses, put the testimony into the ark? Let's look at verse 21 of the same chapter 25 of the same book, Exodus. As we continue, who has your back? The Bible says, And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. It is repeated. The instruction is made clear. Put the testimony into the ark. What is the testimony? Let's stay in the book of Exodus chapter 31. Let us go to verse 18. Welcome those of you who are coming in. God bless you. Come right in and seat yourself comfortably. Exodus chapter 31, reading verse 18, we're trying to understand what God meant when he told Moses, put the testimony into the ark. Verse 18 of Exodus 31, the Bible says, And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of what? Testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. Now, from this text alone, we discover that the testimony refers to what? The law, the Ten Commandments. Go to Exodus chapter 32. And our subject is, who has your back? Exodus 32, verse 15. The Bible says, And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and what was in his hand? The two tables of testimony were in his hand. The testimony, as mentioned by God to Moses in Exodus 25:16 and 25:21, refers to the Ten Commandments. Now, second question. But before I ask the second question, is it clear that the testimony refers to the Ten Commandments? Yes or no? Yes. But what is a testimony? A testimony, of course, is a statement of something that someone has seen or heard or knows something about. It is ideally an accurate rendering of events. The Ten Commandments, follow me closely, as I ask you on Friday night, I want you to reason, think. The Ten Commandments are a testimony, meaning they testify of something. Of what? They testify of something. The ark is called the ark of the testimony. And the most important piece of furniture in all of the ark's construction was that little box. 
that contained the testimony. And the testimony was in it. That's why it is sometimes called the Ark of the Testimony. And the question is, a testimony of what? Testifying of what? Testifying of the very character of God. The Ten Commandments are a testimony, a representation, an expression of the righteousness and the character of God. That is why the testimony was placed in the most holy compartment of the ark, of the, of the, the ark, yes, the tabernacle. The commandments, the testimony, the law, they reflect, they testify to the character of God. Let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, let's take another look at the testimonies. We shall read verse 137 of Psalm 119. I urge you, as a matter of intelligent participation, write these verses down. Or if you see someone writing them at the end of the service, please copy them down. There's nothing illegal about copying in a case like this, so that you may go over these verses when you get home. Always feel the responsibility to check what a preacher says for yourself. In the judgment, you cannot tell God that evangelist Skeet did not make it clear. You cannot tell God that. God said, I gave you a mind, I gave you a brain, the same brain you used to get a PhD, an MD, a BA, an MA, you should have used it to check for yourself. Am I right? All right. What book did I say? Psalm, what chapter? 119, what verse? 137. Read clearly, carefully, carefully and clearly. The testimonies that thou hast what? Commanded are what? Righteous and very faithful. Psalm 119 verse 137. Look at verse 144. What does it say? The righteousness of thy testimonies is what? Everlasting. Now, if something is everlasting, what does that mean? Oh, forever. It has always been there. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. The law has always been there. The character of God has always been there. The righteousness of God has always been there. Now we're answering the question, why was it necessary for someone equal with God, Jesus Christ, to die? Reason number one, sin was a violation of a standard that reflected the very character of God, not of an angel. Are you with me? Sin violated a standard that reflected the character of God. Not of Gabriel or of some other angel, but of God himself. Sin, second reason why Jesus had to die, sin is first and foremost an insult against God personally. Not against an angel. Let's go to Genesis chapter 39 and take a look at this principle in action. Genesis 39, we shall begin reading at verse 7. It's a familiar passage, the passage of Joseph, who was uh, approached by his master's wife with an illegal proposition, which he rejected by the power of God. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Genesis 39, verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me, sin with me, commit fornication with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, My master, what if not what is with me in this house? What that fancy expression means, my master doesn't even know what I do in this house. He just trusts me implicitly. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. 
There is none in this house greater than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against your father-in-law? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, let's look at what David's words, uh, Joseph's words. Joseph was illogical in his statement. Why do I say that? Logic says that every conclusion you reach should follow naturally from some preceding statements or propositions. Now, if that's a fancy statement, let me break that down. If I were to say, all tall men are basketball players. All right? Did you get that? All tall men are basketball players. If I were to say, John is a tall man, what's your conclusion? John is a basketball player. Fine. That is a logical conclusion. But logic does not always lead to truth. Here's an example. And that's not a total strike against logic. It simply means in the pursuit of biblical truth, logic is not the final answer the Holy Spirit is. Can you say amen? All right. Here's why logic is not, does not lead to truth. All creatures with feathers are birds. Are you listening to me? A horse has feathers. What's the conclusion? A horse is a bird. Now that is logical, but it is not true. Look at Joseph's statement. Verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, My master, what if not what is with me in this house? Meaning, he trusts me implicitly. Statement 1. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. Statement 2. There is none greater in this house than I. Statement 3. Now, he says, Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Statement 4. Joseph is talking about all the good things Potiphar has done for him. Now, the logical conclusion should be, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? That would have been logical. But truth is not always logical. Joseph said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? All sin is a violation against God personally. Go with me to Psalm 51. Verse 4. This is David, his famous psalm of repentance. Psalm 51, verse 4. Do you have that? Who wrote Psalms? But he didn't write all of them. But he wrote many of them. Psalm 51 verse 4. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Now, what was this saying? David had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, the wife of a soldier in David's army called Uriah. Now, in our view, at a human level, David sinned against Uriah. But sin is first and foremost a violation against God's character god's person and so david said against thee thee only have i sinned those are two biblical examples let's look at the third genesis chapter 20 as we continue with the subject who has your back we're answering the question why was it necessary for god to die in the form of jesus christ we said one the law that was violated is as sacred as god himself two sin is a personal affront against god are we just completing our 
establishment of that fact. Genesis 20. In this chapter, Abraham's wife, Sarah, is stolen by King Abimelech of the Philistines. And the reason why Abimelech did that is because Abraham said in verse 2, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. Based on the information he had, he took a man's sister. Verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, he hadn't touched her. And there was a reason why. And we'll discover that. Now he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister. And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. Abimelech is saying, Lord, I acted innocently. And God said unto him in a dream, verse 6, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from doing what? Sinning against whom? Against me. If that man had slept with Sarah, he would have sinned first against God. And God said, I stop you from sinning against me. Not Abraham, me. Let me repeat. Sin is a personal affront against God personally. Not against an angel. Human beings suffer the consequences of our sins against each other. But the sin is against God. And so, our third reason, our second reason... Let's review the reasons. One, why did Jesus have to die? Someone equal with the Father? One, the law is as sacred as God himself. The law that people say is done away with, which is the same thing as saying the character of God is done away with, it is as sacred as God himself too. Sin is a personal affront against God. Is that clear? Three, why did Jesus have to come and die? Someone equal with the Father. And we'll establish he's equal with the Father. What's our subject for tonight? Who has your back? Go to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel 10. We read verses 11 and 12. Verses 12 and 13 of Daniel 10. When you come tomorrow night, notice I didn't say if you come. When you come tomorrow night, bring a friend. It may be the best favor you will do that friend. Bring a friend tomorrow. Try hard. Notice I didn't say just invite the person. I said bring the person. That shows personal commitment. Bring the person. What book did I say? What chapter? What verses? 12 and 13. Then said the angel, speaking to Daniel, now this angel is Gabriel, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard and I am come for thy words. Now Gabriel said from the very first day, and Daniel prayed for 21 days. The very first day he prayed, thy words were heard in heaven. And I am come for thy words. Verse, verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. And Lord Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remain with the kings of Persia. Now notice in verse 13, we have the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and we have the kings of Persia, two different personalities. Gabriel said, I was opposed. 21 days. 
Now, in order for this opposition to be remarkable, you have to understand who Gabriel was. Gabriel is now, by all biblical evidence, the highest angel in heaven. Now, what power outside of heaven could stop the highest angel in heaven? For 21 days, and the opposition was so fierce, Gabriel said, Michael, referring to Christ, had to come and help me. Now, my brothers and sisters, I want you to think. Let's take a look at Gabriel. In scripture, whenever God sent very critical messages to earth, he would send Gabriel. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. Gabriel is bringing a message to Zechariah, the potential father, or the father-to-be of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was chosen by God from birth, before birth, to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. This is a critical position. It is an absolutely vital office. And Gabriel is sent to speak to Zechariah, a priest, about what would happen. Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, could not have children. She was barren. By the way, all the significant women in Scripture could not have children. Sarah could not have children. Rebecca could not have children. Rachel, the favorite wife of uh, Jacob, could not have children. Hannah, the wife of Samuel, the, the mother of Samuel, Samuel, the first great prophet, could not have children. Rebecca, not Rebecca, is Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, could not have children. Verse 10 of Luke 1. What can you tell me about Luke? Quickly. He was a doctor, yes. What else can you say about him? He was the only... Apparently the only non-Jewish writer in the Bible, according to the evidence. Luke 1 verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now Zechariah was terrified when he saw the angel. Now here is what the angel says about himself. In verse 18, Zechariah said, Whereby shall I know this? In other words, how shall I know I'll have a child? Because I am old and my wife is old. For I am well stricken in age, and my wife as well. Now, verse 19. The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand where? In the presence of God. Now, what does that mean? I am Gabriel is establishing who he was, his credentials. On the basis of who he was, Zechariah had no right to doubt his word. And he tells Zechariah, look. I am not like any other angel. I am the angel that stands in the very presence of God. Now that angel is what we would call a cherub. Now Lucifer used to be that angel. He used to be that. According to Ezekiel 28 verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. The biblical evidence is Gabriel took his place. But notice in Daniel 10:13, this Gabriel met an opposing force for which he needed help. Now when God made Lucifer, Lucifer was the highest angel God ever made. And that work was so remarkable. In Ezekiel 28 verse 12, the Bible says, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. The expression, thou sealest up the sum, simply means this in modern English. When God made Lucifer, he broke 
the moon. There was never before and never after him any angel like Lucifer. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. That's how God describes him. He was the covering cherub. Ezekiel 28 verse 14. Now, when God gave Moses instructions in Exodus 25, there were more than one. But in the case of Lucifer, the Bible says, Thou art the one covering cherub, and I have sent thee so now. When Lucifer sinned, he did not lose any of his power. Are you following me? He lost none of his power. We're trying to establish why was it necessary for a god to die. Reason one, the Lord that was violated is sacred as God himself. Two, sin is a personal affront against God. Three, sin has a power behind it and in it that no angel can deal with. Not even the highest angel in heaven right now. Because when he came up against that power, what did he have to do? Call for help. And who came? Come on, say his name. Michael. Who's Michael? Jesus Christ. 21 days, the highest angel, Gabriel, could not get through this opposing force that Satan put up. Now, only Satan could have taken on Gabriel. This is biblical reasoning, you see. Reason. The Bible is sweet if we will bring our intelligence to it that God gave us. Gabriel could not get past. Lucifer, as Satan represents, he is the personification of the power of sin, even as Christ is the personification of the power of righteousness. The righteousness of God is in his character. The evil of Satan is in sin. And so Gabriel said, the prince of Persia referring to Satan. Now why do I say that? No human being can resist an angel. So the prince of Persia in Daniel 10.13 cannot refer to the literal prince. It had to refer to an entity higher than a human being. Because from Genesis to Revelation, no human being can resist an angel. Let's look at some examples. We saw in Luke chapter 1. When Zechariah saw an angel, the Bible says, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, reading from verse 8. As we continue, who has your back? And the man who has your back is the only man who can break the power of Satan. What do you say? And who is that? Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2, reading from verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were what? So afraid. Now these are men, shepherds, who were always out at night, when they saw one angel. Later on they saw the heavenly host, but at this initial contact they saw one angel. They were so afraid. The word so means extremely. Let's go to Matthew 28. Let's see how human beings cannot resist an angel. So it could not have been a human being that resisted Gabriel in Daniel 10.13. What book did I say? What chapter? Reading from verse 1. What's our subject for tonight? Who has your back? Let me ask you this. Does anyone have your back right now? Don't answer me. Just think, if no one has your back, before you leave this place, make sure someone has your back. Matthew 28, reading from verse 1. The Bible says, in the end of the Sabbath... 
As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment as white as snow. Verse 4, and for fear of him, what happened? The keepers did shake and became as dead men. One angel, when the Roman guards with their armor and their spears and their swords and their shields, when they saw him, they fell as dead men. One angel, I am saying, a human being cannot withhold or cannot resist and oppose an angel in the execution of his work. Cannot do it. When angels and human beings meet, human beings panic. Let's look at another example quickly. Let's go to the book of Numbers in this chapter. Numbers 22. We read verse 31. This is the very humorous story of Balaam riding an ass. And the ass has to talk to Balaam. Because the ass sees an angel. And the ass was terrified as well. And three times the angel blocked the other donkey and the donkey turned away. Not wanting to go anywhere close to this angel. And Balaam got upset and whipped this animal. And God opened the mouth of the animal. The animal said, why are you, why are you doing this? And the remarkable thing is not the animal spoke, but Balaam spoke back. He said, well, you know what? <laughs> he spoke. In verse 31. Verse 31. The Bible says, Then the Lord did what? Opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And Balaam did what? Fell down and did what? He bowed himself and fell flat on his face. Scared to death when he saw one angel. So if we go back now and read Daniel 10.13, where Gabriel said, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. No human being can one-on-one withstand Gabriel. It must have been another entity, a reference to some satanic being, Satan himself. Let's find biblical evidence for that. Let's go to Ezekiel 28. And if I'm moving quickly, I'm trying to tell you as much as I can. You know, I sometimes tell my audiences, if I move too quickly, anyone in the front, just do that. <laughs> and I will slow down for five seconds and then speed up again. What book did I say? What chapter? Look at verse 11. Moreover, 11 and 12. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of whom? Tyrus, and say unto him, Thou sealest up the psalm, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Now he takes up this lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and begins to talk about Lucifer. In other words, speaking to the king of Tyrus, whose kingdom was supported by the devil, God uses him as a symbol of the devil and begins to describe Lucifer through this man. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 14. Here we have another description of Lucifer in chapter 14 of Isaiah. And here again, the angel of God is speaking through another human being representing the devil. This is the king of Babylon. Isaiah 14 verse 4. Then shall thou take up a proverb against or against the, the king of Babylon and say, How hast the oppressor ceased and the golden city ceased? And if you go on down to verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Here we have Lucifer addressed through human beings who were supported by the power of the enemy. And so in 
Daniel 10.13, when Gabriel said, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, he was referring to the satanic agency that was behind the Persian throne. And that person was none other than Satan himself. What Gabriel was saying is, look, I was held up by the highest expression of evil, and that was Satan himself. And so Michael came. Who was Michael? Jesus Christ came to what? To help me. How many of you need help tonight? Yes, I put both of my hands up. The highest angel in heaven said, Michael, Jesus Christ came to help me in my confrontation with Satan. Now, if the highest angel could not deal with Satan one-on-one, -on -one, what makes you think you can? What makes you think some other angel could have come to die for sin when sin is the very power of Satan? We need someone, needed someone higher than the highest angel, and that person is Christ. So the man that should have your back is Jesus Christ, the only power that can stop Satan. That's the man into whose hands you and I should place our lives. Anything less than Jesus Christ, and we shall be overthrown and overcome. If Gabriel couldn't handle him, you and I cannot. We need Michael to come and help us. I do not understand how people live in this world without having anyone to cover their back. When the devil covers your back, you're uncovered. Because you cannot, the devil cannot defend you against the wrath of God. You didn't like that? You didn't say amen. <laughs> Let me say it again. I have to say it from my heart as your brother in Christ. Satan cannot protect you from the wrath of God. But God can protect you from the wrath of Satan. God must be the one who has your back. And that arrangement comes about when a man or a woman acknowledging the power of God surrenders the life into the hand of Christ because Christ says, any man who puts his life in my hand, no one can pluck that person from my hand. No one includes Satan because no one means no one. Only God could have died for sin because sin is a transgression of a standard that is as sacred as God himself. It is a reflection of the very character of God. Two, only God could die for sin. Because all sin are personal affronts against God. Three, only God could die for sin. Because only God can take on the power of sin, which is the devil. Only God. So he who died, Jesus Christ, while he was human, yes... Never forget, he was also God. Let me give you some biblical evidence. I love the word evidence. Go with me to uh, Matthew 23, quickly. Time flies very quickly when we're having good time. Matthew 23, verse 37. You have it? Who's the first person to find it? All right, a handsome gentleman to my right. Don't let him find all the verses first, please. 
Matthew 23, verse 37, listen to Jesus Christ. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. Notice how Jesus calls, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Let's go to uh, Mark chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. This is the story where from verse 38 to 41, 42, where Jesus is at the house of Martha and Mary. And um, Mary is sitting listening to the word of Christ and Martha is serving. Verse uh, 40. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. And she came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha. How does he call her? Martha, Martha. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Martha, Martha. Stay in the book of Luke, chapter 22. Luke 22, we're trying to establish that Jesus is God. We're trying to provide more biblical evidence. Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Simon, Simon, this seems to be a style that Jesus has when he calls. Let us go to Mark chapter 15. Mark 15. Let's read verse 34 as we continue. Who has your back? Mark 15, verse 34. Do we have that? Mark is the shortest gospel. It is the most fast-paced of all the gospels. Immediately and, 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 and. Mark seemed to have written it in a hurry. Mark 15, verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God. So he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Martha, Martha, Simon, Simon, my God, my God. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 9. We're looking for additional biblical evidence that Jesus is God. We've seen he had to be God to deal with Satan. Because no angel alone can deal with the devil. Only God can. Acts chapter 9, verse 4. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, what? Saul, Saul. This was when Saul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. So we have a style of calling. And Saul said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus Christ whom thou persecutest. Saul, Saul. My God, my God. Martha, Martha. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Simon, Simon. Let's go to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. We're coming to the end of Who Has Your Back? Genesis 22. In this chapter, God has instructed Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his son whom he loved so dearly, on whom all his hopes were pinned. And in verse 10 of Genesis 22, the Bible says, Then Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said what? Abraham, Abraham. Does that sound familiar? Yes, it does. But that's not familiar enough. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. We're trying to establish that Michael Jesus Christ it's really God, contrary to what some people would have you believe. But we have seen that anyone less than God cannot deal with the devil. Exodus 3, reading from verse 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called on him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. 
Sound familiar? Yes, it does. Not familiar enough. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. In this chapter, God is calling Samuel. And God calls him a certain way. Of course, you can always guess what that is. Let's read from verse 3. One night, Eli is lying down in his place, and Samuel is laid down to sleep as verse 2 ends. And ere the ark of the, te- the lamp of God went out of the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. That the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here I am, for thou callest me. And Eli said, I call not. Lie down again. And Samuel went and lay down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou dost call me. And he answered, I call not, my son, lie down again. Verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Verse 8. And the Lord came and called Samuel again the third time. Samuel, he called him the third time, and Samuel arose, went to Eli. He said, Here am I, for thou dost call me. And Eli perceived. You should have perceived that the first time God called. See? But that's another story. Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called, verse 10, as at other times. That's a key expression. How did God call? As at other times. So then how did he call? Samuel, Samuel. That's actually how he called in verse 4, in verse 6, and in verse 8. Verse 10 establishes that. He called as at other times. What we're seeing is biblical evidence. That the God who said Simon, Simon, the God who said Mary, Mary, or Martha, Martha, the God who said Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Saul, Saul, my God, my God, is the God who said Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses, and Samuel, Samuel. And that God is Jesus. I want that to trickle right down through the fertile soil of your minds. Jesus Christ. The man who should have your back is God. As much as the Father is God. It was absolutely necessary that God come and die in human form. Because only God can deal with sin, the power of sin, and the personification of sin, which is Satan. No other power could deal with it and Gabriel made that clear when he had to call Michael to help him against what evidently was Satan himself. If you serve Jesus as a little God, you are in trouble. Because as far as the Bible tells us, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and then the highest angel. That's it. There is no God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and a few assistant gods. The Bible does not teach that. There are some people who teach Jesus was a little God. He was not that. Jesus Christ was, remains, and will always be God. Only God can create. And we discovered on Friday night that Jesus Christ was the superstar of creation. And tonight... I want you to think very clearly, very soberly, and very seriously. Who 
is your God? Whom do you serve? I was in London, England in uh, April and May. I don't recall when I had this encounter. I was staying at the home of a family as I did a week of prayer. And the family had a helper who came to iron the clothes and wash them. Or wash them and iron them, I suppose that's the order. And uh, I discovered that the helper was a Jehovah's Witness. So, when she found out I was there to do a week of prayer, she thought she would enlighten me about the scriptures. And I could always use enlightenment. Come on, say amen. amen. Only God knows everything. So she arranged, contrary to my knowledge, for a few of her enlighteners to come to the house. So one day I came downstairs and I saw two or three people sitting there, mother, her son, and nice-looking man. So we began to chat. And the mother said, uh, what do you believe about Jesus? Well, I don't hesitate. <laughs> I don't. Oh, Jesus was human and God. The woman said, I am shocked. I am shocked. I don't know what kind of tactic that was, but it wasn't working. I am shocked that you believe that Jesus is God. I said, madam, you shouldn't be shocked. You should be delighted you've been introduced to another perspective. When I tried to show her from the Bible that Jesus was God, she found some creative reason to terminate the discussion, and she left. And I wanted to pray, but she wouldn't have that. So this child for whom Jesus died, she left. There are people who do not accept Jesus Christ as God. They accept him as a nice man. No nice man can save you. A lot of nice men get you into trouble, am I right? No nice man can save you. Only God can save from sin. And since Jesus came to die, Jesus Christ is God. He has always been there. As one writer said, he has life which is original, unborrowed, underived. When Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus, his sister Martha, Lazarus' sister, was very worried. She was sorry she was losing her brother. And Jesus said, your brother shall rise again. She said, yes, Lord, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection the last day. Then Jesus said something. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Jesus didn't say, I am the resurrected. Are you listening to me? You and I, if we remain faithful, and I hope we do, when Christ comes and raises us up, we shall be the resurrected. Jesus Christ is the resurrection. Which means that when Jesus himself died, he raised himself. Now, there are Bible verses that said God raised him, and that is correct. Because God gave the order to him when to get up. But if God had raised Jesus, Jesus would have been the resurrected, not the resurrection. This is further evidence that Jesus is God, because only God can raise himself. Elijah raised the dead. Peter raised the dead. Paul raised the dead. But they're all dead. Well, not Elijah. Elijah's in heaven. But Peter is dead. Paul is dead. If they have the power to raise themselves, they would be alive. Jesus died, but rose again. 
with and by the power that was natural and inherent to him. My brothers and my sisters, it is critical that you understand without one tremor of doubt. The Christ who died on Calvary was God. By that I mean God-man. The God part was all God. The human part was human. The human part of God died, yes. But that was God. Because Jesus said to John, in Revelation 1.17, John said, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Here's further proof that when a human being sees an angel, they collapse. I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, verse 18, Revelation 1, I am he, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. That's what Jesus said. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. So Jesus testified from his own lips, I was dead. But I am the resurrection and the life. My brothers and my sisters, why was it necessary for Christ to come and die? One equal with the Father? The law that was broken is a reflection of the very character of God. Two, sin is a personal affront against God. And in his love for us, he came to pay the price for an insult against him. Three, only God can take on Satan and win. Are you with me? Only God can take Satan. The highest angel cannot resist the devil. By the way, one of my writers said, only God can hold an argument with the devil. Only God can hold an argument with the only God, which means it excludes the angels. Only God can successfully argue with Satan. Only a God could come and die to overpower the devil. So 1 John 3, it says, He that sinneth is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God, God himself, Jesus Christ, who has your back? Make sure tonight it is Jesus Christ. Who is God? I don't know what your condition is tonight, but let me make this offer to you. Will you not say on the basis of what you've heard, Lord, I put my life into your hands. Will you not say that? If you will, can you raise your right hand? I put my into your hands. Stand up with me, please. Let's pray. I put my life into your hand. If you say that from your heart, I'd like you to make that mark on a card. You should have a card with you. Simply says, I give surrender fully to jesus christ if you will mark that card the ushers will bring the cards to me i will pray over them tonight and in the days to come particularly if you've had no relationship with jesus christ i surrender my life to the one who is god the only one who can overcome the devil i want him to have my back sign that card i will get them i will pray over them for you all during the day night and day every head bowed every eye closed father in the name of jesus let your words sink deep into our hearts and let us, Lord, live by these words that the Savior who died was God, is God, will always be God. We put our lives into his hand. Father, keep us until that great day when the resurrection and the life raises us up that we may live with him forever. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake that all God's people say, Amen and Amen. I shall see you when? Tomorrow night, what time? 7 o'clock. God bless you.